Episode 17, featuring Sarah Obenauer, founder and director of Make a Mark. Hey y'all, welcome to the Nuga Bell podcast, all about stories of the South, straight from the sources. I'm your host, Kate Robertson, and I'm based in the scenic city of Chattanooga, Tennessee. Join me and my guests as we talk about all things Chattanooga, life in the South, and beyond. Now pour yourself a cup of coffee or a glass of sweet tea and join us. We're so glad you're here. Hey y'all, welcome back to the Nuga Bell podcast. I'm your host, Kate, and I'm super excited to be here with nonprofit director, Sarah Obenauer. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Kate. So you're not originally from Chattanooga, are you? I'm not. I'm from a little teeny tiny town in West Virginia called Princeton. So how did you go from Princeton, West Virginia to Chattanooga, Tennessee? Yeah, so uh, after high school, I went to Virginia Tech in Blacksburg. Go Hokies. Go Hokies. And <laughs> loved it there. Loved my time there. Um, and my husband and I lived there for seven years, so we lived there for a while after we graduated and then kind of discovered Chattanooga and fell in love with it and made our way down here a couple years ago. Awesome. So what brought y'all to Chattanooga? We actually saw Chattanooga from the road on a road trip down to Texas from Blacksburg and saw the beautiful river and the mountains and the city from the road and knew we had to come by. We wanted to stop in and see what it was all about. And from there, really just started reading and learning more about Chattanooga, um, understanding kind of the qualities of the people here. Uh, People really want to dig in and solve problems using their skills and their creativity and and really tackle those big problems that are happening in the city. And we just really wanted to be a part of that. That's awesome. And there's a whole lot of opportunity to do that here. Absolutely. So you and your husband have a nonprofit organization together. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, the organization is called Make a Mark. And our goal is really to bring together creatives and technologists and marketers and other creatives with nonprofit organizations and humanitarian efforts um, in different locations to really create some beautiful work to drive their missions forward, to help tell their story. Um, And we really do that mostly with our staple event, which is a 12-hour design development and overall creativity marathon uh, benefiting those nonprofits. Awesome. What other events does Make a Mark do throughout the year? We do lots of different things. We um, will do some individual trainings. We do roundtables, you know, do a little bit of consulting with the nonprofit organizations. But we really try to act as a connector for those organizations and the resources that they need. Awesome. So glad to hear it. Um, How many other cities in the country does Make a Mark have make-a-thons in? Actually, this is a little sneak peek. So in a couple of weeks, we'll be announcing our new locations. But we'll be up to 11 by the end of the month, which is super exciting. So we're in... I'm going to try to remember them all. (laughs) We are in, the new ones that we're announcing are Atlanta, Boston, and Lexington, Kentucky, which we're super excited about. Lexington? Yeah. Horse country. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Yeah, I'm super, I'm super interested to really dig into that and see um, what's really unique about that community. That's been the really cool part about learning about these different places. Um, We have our first international location, which is Brussels. Um, We have San Francisco and New York, and then we have really cool small communities that are doing these events like Chattanooga and Blacksburg, where it started, Um, Asheville, Charlotte, so some really cool locations that are popping up. So how did 
you really get started with Make a Mark? Like, what is its origin story? That's a good question. Uh, so I was working at a nonprofit organization once I graduated from Virginia Tech, and it was a traffic safety organization. We focused specifically on helping teens that are just learning how to drive um, and helping them focus on that, that safety element. And really in that work, um, it was a small staff. We were serving the whole state. And it was really hard to get our message across to those teenagers when they're in the school and they think, oh, this is some really boring prevention club. Um, but we're do we were doing really powerful things to kind of to help improve their leadership skills, but to also just help them improve um, their lives and their communities and really empowering them in that way. And knew that we couldn't do that with the design and the technology that we had before. People were still faxing in forms and trying to get a 15, 16-year-old to fax in a form to our organization was not an option. Uh, I don't even know how yeah. to send a fax. <laughs> <laughs> and we would get like fax spam, which I didn't know was a thing, so that was hysterical. Um, so just navigating that and knowing we had to do a better job of that was really how I started dabbling in that. And then it really saw the impact of that we were – ultimately saving more lives. We were getting more grant funding to help support those schools and those students. Um, we were winning awards statewide. And so seeing that, I knew that there were people that wanted to to help those nonprofits that had skills in design and marketing and were software developers and could use those skills in a really powerful way. So just basically uh, bringing those people together and creating an event and a safe space for them to collaborate and do their thing. Yeah, why yeah. not, right? Yeah. You brought it to the right city. Yeah, yeah, it's been really cool in Chattanooga to have so many people embrace it, and it's it's really cool to see every community make it its own, which is really what we want. Yeah, I can imagine Chattanooga's Maker Mark is much different than, like, Atlanta's, which is even just two hours to the south, but, yeah. like, such a different environment, and, like, Boston's going to be different, and uh, you have one in Charlotte, right? Yeah, that one's coming up a couple, uh, well, really a month, so... Mm -hmm. Yeah, that'll be exciting. Yeah. All right, we're going to play with my jar now. Okay. Which, <laughs> if you're a faithful listener of the podcast, which I hope there are at least some of y'all out there, um, you know what the jar is. But for new listeners, it is this beautiful little mason jar with colorful pieces of paper. And we're just going to draw a couple of pieces and talk about whatever is on them. Excited. So I'll go first. Oh my gosh, I talk about this all the time. But <laughs> moon pies, love them or hate them. I love them. I love them only for the nostalgia piece. Like, the, they taste good because I remember them from childhood, and they make me think of my grandparents. Aww. But I don't know about that flavor and the texture. It's something else. They're such a love-or-hate thing. Uh-huh. Like, everyone in my family loves them, like me and my dad especially. I remember when we lived in Philadelphia for a little while when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. Like, you can't really get moon pies above the Mason-Dixon line. <laughs> So whenever we went down to, like, see our family in North Carolina or, like, when I was at Virginia Tech, too, I could get moon pies in Blacksburg. So I would always take as many home as I could, and we rationed them like <laughs> they were going out of style. Like, my family just loves moon pies. It's our thing. That's fantastic. Actually, I have a funny story about moon pies, specifically in Chattanooga. When we came down for – the first time we came to Chattanooga actually was for an anniversary trip after we had seen it on the way down um, – Alex had planned a surprise. It was great. Um, but we came down, and we went to the Moon Pie General Store because, of course, I was, like, full nostalgia. had to see it. And he turned away for a minute, went off, was doing something else. And I had one of those massive boxes of 
just like empty that you can fill with the moon pie. So I was just standing back there filling it up. And he had no, you know, he's from, you know, basically DC. So there's not a whole lot of moon pie action going on up there. So, but we walked away with this big thing of moon pies. So it was awesome. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> I love people who say that moon pies go stale because like they actually kind of do. Yeah, I guess they get chewy. They do. Yeah. And, like, there's a very fine line between, like, a nice, enjoyable moon pie and one that you just can't. Ugh. That's it. What's your favorite flavor, then? Chocolate. Chocolate. Gotta go classic. Classic. Vanilla's a close second. Yeah. Well, there's, like, there's still just a few flavors of them, I feel like. Now. There's banana. chocolate, vanilla, banana, salted caramel, strawberry, they had lemon and orange for a hot minute. Mm. They'll do, like, special edition ones sometimes, mm. and they'll do special edition coconut ones. And my I dad loves anything flavored coconut, so whenever I go and I see them having coconut moon pies, I'll always get a bag <laughs> and either mail them to him, or if I know I'm going to see my parents soon, I'll just save them, and my dad, he just devours them. That's awesome. He loves anything I coconut. didn't know there was a coconut option. That is... You have to keep your that. eye out for yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. I'll keep an eye then. Yeah. Your turn. <laughs> All right. I'm going to go. Let's get a pink one. Ah, oh, my favorite brunch in Chattanooga is. Oh, that is so hard. So many options. How can you choose I know. One? And I love to eat, but I also love the experience of eating. So it, it has to be like a very specific combination of, oh, my gosh. I really love feed. Yes. That's probably my favorite. It's really close to home for us, so that's great. Mm -hmm. um, I love getting the cereal killer. I have not had so that yet. Good. So I'm, good. I'm a mimosa traditionalist yeah. front, so I always <laughs> get a mimosa, but that's one that I really want to try. Oh, it's super good, and I love that there's always different cereal flavor options. We tried to make it a home. Didn't do it right. <laughs> not good. <laughs> like little crummies all in it. Oh, not no. so good. Um, Didn't filter it out right. No. And I just love feed. Like, the food is great there all the time. So, mm -hmm. but that's really what puts it over, I think. Yeah. Feed's one of my favorites for sure. That's where I always try to take my parents when they visit. Uh, I like food works a lot. I haven't been there for brunch. The brunch is where they shine. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I love their brunch. Um, where else? Flying Squirrel is a really good if you don't mind waiting in line. Yeah. Because they don't do reservations or anything. Um, feed, stir. Stir is my other favorite. I've not been there for brunch either. Oh my goodness. That's where you need to go next. Oh, I need to, yeah, I think that's a definite. I really love, um, Beast and Barrel, but just because that was, like, the first place that we really, like, ate in Chattanooga, I want to say, or definitely, like, the first brunch place. And I feel like it's a good go-to for people that are, like, if you have people in town that are adventurous or not adventurous. Like, it's an easy, like stable because you can get kind of like a boring normal breakfast mm -hmm. or you can like get like super tasty like smoked meat like the smoked uh salmon blt situation is super good oh. and you can also buy an entire bottle of champagne and go back to the mimosa bar nice yeah good to know if you have enough people yeah <laughs> or want to sleep all afternoon <laughs> yeah that's true yeah <laughs> i've only been to beast and barrel for happy hour i haven't their tried happy their brunch yet and even still, that's that's been a long time. So I guess I should guess I should go back. All right, let's get one of these green ones here. I need some new colors of paper in here. If anything were to revoke my southernhood, it would be. Oh my goodness, that's a great question. 
If you've listened to the show, you already know that I hate tomatoes. So I'm not going to talk about that again. We're going to say I hate seafood. So all like seafood? all I love calamari, but mm. like fried shrimp, fried catfish, oysters, clams, like anything else that came out of water, put it in front of me, and I'm just uh uh-uh, uh no. Mm. Even growing up going to the beach, couldn't do it. That's curious. So what would you eat when you would go to the beach? Just chicken tenders. Chicken tenders, <laughs> <laughs> chicken tenders and mac I knew and cheese. It. <laughs> That's not a bad day, though, chicken tenders and mac and cheese. No, it's, like, probably one of my favorite meals, and I should probably figure out a recipe for, like, an adult version of that so I can, you know, feel not too bad about eating that at almost 27, but... And I also, up until I was about 12 years old, I thought hush puppies were seafood. Oh, because it always comes with seafood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so I just always associated hush puppies with seafood, not thinking that I get them at every barbecue place (laughs) that I go to. But it's different. I would contest that the hush puppies at a seafood restaurant are different than the hush puppies you have at a barbecue place. They usually are. They're a little bit, like, more oily at a seafood place. Yeah. And, like, more savory, I want to say. Yeah. I don't know. That might not be true. We could do a little taste test yes. situation. We're going to have to do that. I like that idea. All right. Pick another one. All right. We'll go blue. This is a brunch obsession. You can't have brunch without. <laughs> well, I love brunch. So. I do love brunch, too. I just love the concept. Can't have brunch without. That's going to be super boring. But I would say, like, Probably a mimosa or some sort of brunch-appropriate beverage. Yes. Um, so I usually I'm, – I'm with you. I usually get mimosas everywhere except for feed where I get the cereal killer. I'm trying to think of something else that's, like, very brunchy. I like, like, open doors, too, for brunch. Back to the whole experience, like, I feel like it should be, like, garage doors up or, like, you're outside. Like, I don't want to be inside for brunch. Yeah. You, like, brunch on, like, a patio with nice weather, a little bit of a breeze, some live music. Some music, yeah. That's that's the ideal brunch experience there. Surrounded by, like, good friends. Yes. A crew of people, too, I feel like is kind of a necessity. Yeah. Let's see. For me, you can't have brunch without, I usually say biscuits of some oh. sort. I don't know that I usually get biscuits at brunch. I, I don't know what I get at brunch now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> I usually, meat, usually. Yeah. Some kind of intense meat. <laughs> I used to be, like, a super sweet brunch person, like, always getting pancakes mm-hmm. or French toast or whatever, but I've been on a biscuits and gravy kick for the past few months, and I love just a good traditional, like, egg, meat, and biscuit plate. Yeah, I agree with that. We had... I- just opted for that over the weekend. And I like fun, like, crazy breakfasts, too. Like, Clyde's have it. They have, mm-hmm. like, super fun breakfast or brunch there. But, yeah, I feel like sometimes a nice traditional one. I'm almost always a savory person, though, at brunch. Yeah. I don't do the sweet thing often. Maybe, like, fruit, but. The older I've gotten, the more I've kind of gone towards the more savory side of things. But I have a huge sweet tooth. It's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> but I'm learning how to, like, control that a little bit. Which is not as easy as it sounds. Yeah. If you're in my shoes, you know. <laughs> Let's do one more each. Oh, and by the way, if you're a listener, if you have any questions you would like to be answered from the jar, leave me a review or tweet at me, and I will put them in. What is Chattanooga missing? 
a Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's. I've never been to Trader Joe's. I've been to them a couple of times. Um, when I was in grad school at Elon, there was one in Winston-Salem that I went to a couple of times. And what I've, makes it, like, special? It's just, like, they pride themselves on, like, organic stuff mm-hmm. and, like, fresh and nothing's processed or anything. And their prices are super, super affordable. And it's just a fun shopping experience. That's curious. I'll have to... We've been talking about that, actually, a lot lately. I'm glad at least there's, like, a fresh market here mm-hmm. and... Whole Foods, there's certainly not that many options. I knew Miss Kroger. Oh my gosh. Which is like just the most basic grocery store, but I really miss Kroger. I do too. I didn't realize how much I would miss a grocery store Mm -hmm. until I didn't have it. Thank you. (laughs) I miss it so much. I talk about it. That's the only, oh, that's horrible. That's not the only thing I miss from Blacksburg. That, (laughs) that, (laughs) I miss so many things from Blacksburg, but that's probably the biggest like surprise thing that you miss. Like besides the people and the school, you know, and your home, I miss Kroger. So, for those of you who don't know, Blacksburg, Virginia is where Virginia Tech is, and we had two Krogers. We had the Kroger on, was it South Main? South Main. Yep, and then the one at the University Mall or whatever. Yeah. And the South Main Kroger was called Gucci Kroger, (laughs) and I forget what we called the other Kroger, but... Probably something rude. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure it was something not very nice, Yeah. there, it was the exact same store, the exact same prices and everything, mm-hmm. but was it just me, or did you always feel, like, a little bit fancier when you went to Gucci Kroger? I loved that Kroger, and it was always <laughs> on my way home from work. Now, this is going to be a tangent, because I talk about it all the time, and Alex is like, no, there's so many great grocery stores in Chattanooga. Like, it's fine. And there are. There are grocery stores, but I just missed that Kroger. I knew where everything was. I knew, like, what deals to go for. I had, like, fully navigated it. And I thought I had glorified it in my head. So we went back a couple weeks ago, and we were (laughs) running through Blacksburg for, like, a couple hours. We had to stop off and get something at Kroger, one little thing. And I was like, I'm sure I've glorified it now. We'll walk in and whatever. They added a bar. There's a bar in the front. You can, like, get a glass of wine, beer, whatever, navigate around. There's, like, a scanner at the front, so you can pick up little scanners. You can scan your stuff as you go through and then pay at the end, so you don't have to – it's, like, self-checkout, but as you go. It's brilliant. And then, I don't know, it just – it totally lived up to my – the hype in my head. It's better now, honestly. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I miss Kroger so much. Yeah. There's one down in Dalton. Is there? But it's kind of absurd to drive, like, 35 minutes for a grocery store. So whenever I go down to Atlanta, I usually try to build in time to swing off and go to Kroger for a little bit. Because there are some, like, Kroger store brand things that I just really love. I agree with that. Like, there's just – you and uh, you know what to get there. Like, mm-hmm. maybe it's just because we were there for a while or – I don't know. That's when I first started really shopping was at yeah, Kroger. Right? So I knew, like, my go-to. Mm-hmm. Actually, I have a friend, if you're listening, hi, Colin, um, who, (laughs) he is from Atlanta, and he is obsessed with Publix, and so whenever he comes back down in in this whole territory, he will go to Publix, and I'm always so jealous. I'm like, you have Kroger right there all the time. I will trade. (laughs) Like, please, I just want Kroger back. When I lived in Atlanta the second time, we had a Publix and a Kroger right across the street from each other. And the Kroger was, like, not exactly a Gucci Kroger. It was, like, yeah. not in the best shape. So we always shopped at Publix. So I had this, like, amazing memory of Publix being, like, the promised land of grocery stores. Yeah. And then 
uh, when I moved to Blacksburg and we had the Kroger's, I was like, oh, wow, Kroger's, like, a little bit better than I remember. Yeah. <laughs> and then I moved here, and I was like, well, I don't have Kroger, but I have Publix. That's kind of cool. And then yeah. I realized, like, Publix is, like, twice as expensive as everything it's else. It's so and expensive. Just like, yeah, I can't do this on my salary. I got to start <laughs> shopping somewhere else. <laughs> Good Aldi. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, I recently started shopping at Aldi, and I love it. We did too, but I, we weren't prepared, so we were prepared with the quarter and the cart. We were not prepared with bringing our own bags. Oh, so yeah. So it was a pretty manual process, but it was worth it. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, Aldi's super underrated. I agree with that, and there's several nearby, so you can kind of take your pick wherever oh, yeah. you are. Oh my gosh. That was the best <laughs> tangent I've had on the ever. <laughs> If Alex listens to this, he will be like, well, if Alex listens, when Alex listens to this, (laughs) he'll be like, she talked about Kroger for a really long time, because I go off on it often. There's nothing wrong with that. All right, round this out. One more. All right. Let's see if I get another bruncher. Note to self, no more brunch questions. (laughs) I like the brunch questions. It makes me hungry, though. It's warm, sunny, and a good porch sitting day. What are you drinking? Oh, goodness. Right now, full rosé situation. Yes. Um, and, like, a little effervescent, which is nice. Like, a little sparkling rosé. Um, also, always, I love whiskey, so this is, like, the perfect place for me to live. So, like, a nice, um, like, a mint julep or, like, a whiskey sour or something is good, too. Maybe, like, later in the day. Maybe not early in the day. Oh, my gosh. But. You and I are soul sisters. <laughs> Mint juleps are my favorite cocktail in the world. So good. I love them. Have you had the one at Stir? I have, yes. It is. So good. It's the best in town. Mm. They do it right. No, I want one. Now I'm thinking about all the brunch food I want, all the drinks that I want. <laughs> you can't have a I'm mint julep with indulgent. brunch, though. No, you can't. It's, you, I feel like you can't have whiskey that early. Unless you're tailgating. Yeah. Really. <laughs> <laughs> I've slept through a few tailgates. <laughs> I remember one time, I think it was my senior year, there was a group, I don't know how I fell in with this group, but (laughs) it was a mix, I guess it it was like a friend of a friend or something, but it was a bunch of friends that she knew that were all like older alumni that came back for two or three games a year and did like big tailgates. That's fun. And their tradition was a nine o'clock shot. Oh. (laughs) And they did the old hokey cheer and then took a shot of Jack. Oh my goodness. And I walked up to the tailgate at 8.55, and the first thing someone said to me was, what are you shooting? And I was like, do what? <laughs> orange juice? <laughs> Just orange juice? It was like Coke? Like, and, they, and they held one he held up like a bottle of Jack and I forget what the other liquor was, but I was just like, it was something that I just like made my stomach curdle. So I was uh, like, Jack. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's another thing. Non-alcoholic beverage on a porch, cheer wine out of the bottle is yes. so good with a straw. <sighs> yeah. Sorry. Cheer wine was another that. thing that I couldn't get up North. So I You would... really can't. It's really kind of almost in North Carolina, like mm-hmm. exclusive. Almost. Can't, you can't really find it here in very many places, I feel like. You have to look for it, but yeah. I have bought it and seen it. Um, have you ever had Cheerwine Punch? No. So, it's the easiest recipe ever. It's proportions of three. So, a third Cheerwine, mm-hmm. a third pineapple juice, a third ginger ale. Wow. So, whatever, if you're doing, like, a cup of each, it's just a third, a third, a third. Yeah, that's easy enough. It's so yeah. easy. You can put vodka in it. It's really good with, like, vanilla vodka. Oh, yeah, I could see that. But 
I love, love, love Cheerwine Punch. My grandma makes it at Christmas every year. And oh, that's a good Christmas thing. It's I so can see good. that. And it's like bubbly too mm-hmm. then. Yeah. And if you really want to take it to the next level, put some sherbet in it. I feel like that's a, maybe it's not a very southern thing, but it feels like a very southern thing to me. Punch with like ice cream mm-hmm. or sherbet in it. Like you don't see that. No. Northern. Not really. Areas. Yeah. I remember when I was in high school up in Pennsylvania, the first, I say party, but it wasn't like your high school party. It was like a friend's birthday party or yeah. something. And I took Cheerwine Punch, and all of my, like, Yankee high school friends were like, want to tell us what this is? And I was like, <laughs> it's Cheerwine Punch. Like, not understanding that Cheerwine isn't a thing that exists outside of North Carolina. Yeah. And they were just like, what is this? What are you making us drink? And then I poured them each a little sip, and they were like, oh, man. Sugar overload. Yeah. They yeah. Were like, <laughs> you have to bring this to everything from now on. That's so, fantastic. Like, anytime I was invited to a party or a function of some sort, I was required to bring Cheerwine Punch. That's amazing. Is punch a thing in general in the North? Certain types of it, maybe. Not the kind of punch I'm used to. Yeah. That sounds delicious. I really want that now. Maybe that's what I'll have on my next porch sitting day. Yes, mm-hmm. it's super good. Like I said, a third, a third, a third. There we go. I, I don't even have to write it down. Nope. <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes, too. There we go. So that way you can find it, and anyone else who listens to this can have my recipe for, well, it's not my recipe, the recipe for Cheerwine Punch. All right. And I'm serious, y'all. Send me your questions for the jar if you have any. I'm going to send a question. Oh. I don't know what. Yes. Think about it. It might be a grocery store question considering how excited I was about (laughs) Which grocery store do you miss the most? (laughs) All right. Let's talk a little bit more about Make-A-Mark. So what goes into planning these 12-hour makeathons? Yeah, so they, um, we get that question a lot, like, oh, well, this is a great event. What do you do the rest of the year? Not realizing kind of the process that goes into planning. And I think that can be said for probably anything. Any kind of event that you're planning just requires a lot of thoughtfulness to go well. So we really, really pride ourselves on bringing together and being really discerning about the makers that we choose and the projects that we put them on as well as the nonprofits that we choose um, and the types of projects they're applying with. So we start fairly early. We reach out to the community just to to really get a feel. So each location um, has site leaders that are volunteers in their community that help to plan and are kind of the boots on the ground um, because we really believe that each community should plan and drive its own event because they understand the problems. They understand the dynamics. And as somebody on the outside, I wouldn't feel comfortable coming in and saying to Charlotte, hey, Charlotte, here's what you need to be thinking about, and here are the problems that your city is facing. So we really want to make sure that it's people and their communities that want to plan one of these events and want to bring together this special community, um, and we're there to support that, so by mentoring them and um, providing resources and having conversations with them regularly and just making sure that we're there for those site leaders. But as far as the actual planning process, we really try to reach out to the communities that we're in um, six, nine months in advance, maybe even longer, just depending on how we're approaching it, um, and get a feel for what the problems are, get a feel for the nonprofits we should be looking at. And maybe it's not a nonprofit, maybe it's somebody that's just starting an effort in their community and it has a a humanitarian spin or twist to it. We still want to support those people, so we don't worry about if they're a 501c3 or not. We just want to help people that are helping people. And so really reaching out and getting a feel for that, um, getting a feel for what the design community, what the development community looks like, 
um, and then going through the process of finding the right people, the right projects, interviewing nonprofits, um, looking at makers' portfolios, and then just building the right teams to work on what we think are the most meaningful long-term projects. Mm -hmm. So how do you figure out how to pair teams together to work with these nonprofits? It is like a magical puzzle. <laughs> um, there's a little, there's a lot of um, things, tricks that we've learned along the way um, that I'd be happy to share with anybody, but it's kind of a long story. Um, <laughs> so if anyone wants to know, but we really just try to think about um, and ask the nonprofits when we're interviewing them what kind of the needs are, and if they don't know the answers directly, we try to discern it for them. So say somebody is applying with a project that um, needs a little more strategy. We make sure we are finding people that can think strategically. Um, we're looking for people that are potentially copywriters, um, thinking about people that can do content architecture. So we look at all of that as we're planning it, um, look at those skills. And then we also look at the makers, what their preferences are of like type of project, type of nonprofit they want to work with. Some don't care, but some do mark preferences. So we try to be helpful in that way. Um, we look at their portfolios. We look at what they marked. Um, and then just start moving post-its around on a wall, essentially. <laughs> we've, you know, we've done it differently probably every time because we learn along the way of ways that we can be more effective and efficient and just create a better experience for everyone. Um, and then I think there's like a good sprinkle of luck or, you know, serendipity or magic or blessings from some higher power, you know, any of that stuff, I think, whatever you believe, there's a bit of that for mm -hmm. sure. So, yeah, so we're just really fortunate to be able to actually pull it together and have support of the communities that we're in. Uh, so Chattanooga's first Make-A-Mark Make-A-Thon was last year. Yes. What was that like? It was amazing. It was so much fun. I mean, I think everyone you learn something from. And um, the first three that we had done were all in the blacksburg Roanoke area. And so we'd gotten into a certain flow of, you know, by year two, we'd learned things from year one and same for year three, we'd gotten this kind of tribal knowledge of that over the past couple of years. And so doing something in Chattanooga, being fairly new to Chattanooga at the time, we had been here maybe six months when we started planning it, like really digging in and planning it. We relied a lot on people in the community um, to really give us feedback on what they loved and what they hated about what we were thinking for the process, um, what they saw as problems, what they saw as things that could be improved, as opportunities. Um, and so it was really cool to go through that and have like real partners here in Chattanooga that were willing to share their knowledge and experiences with us and, and pull it together and make it happen. And mm -hmm. so, and it was a great space. We were in the Edney, um, which is, was fantastic for us. So we just had a lot of space and opportunity to do like trainings for nonprofits and create more collaborative spaces. So it was, it was a fantastic event. I'm super excited for this year. So. When is this year's event? It's in September. It's September the 29th. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm coming was... up. I was super sad I missed last year's, but I was out of town for a friend's wedding. Um, it's but, always wedding season. Yeah, I feel like always. we hit it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but a bunch of my coworkers did it, and they just they talked about it for ages. They loved it. That's great. Yeah. That um, can you still sign up to work for Make a Mark this year, or not work for, but volunteer <laughs> with? I guess. Yeah. So we, um, you know, we're taking volunteers to help out with day of stuff. You know, there's a certain amount of prep in advance and afterward um, some cleanup and tear down but also if you want to be part of the the day of the event we definitely have a need for volunteers um, and we're kind of solidifying some teams right now but we always have a need for some additional makers to kind of support um, so if there's anyone out there that wants to participate in that way 
They can go to the website or they can reach out to me. Awesome. What's the website? It's letsmakeamark.org. Awesome. I'll throw that in the show notes as well. <laughs> um, was Chattanooga the first expansion city? It was. <gasps> yeah. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah, it was really exciting. Yeah. I was nervous, for oh, sure. Oh, sure. <laughs> <laughs> it was certainly, like I said, we got into such a flow. Um, but I really love the challenge of, I think you grow when you're challenged, right? So... I've never wanted to continue to do something because we've perfected it. You know, I wanted to do something because there's a need for it and because we're able to grow personally and grow as an organization and grow within the community and continue to support the community. So being able to do the event in Chattanooga and see what the differences were, what some of the opportunities were, it was really cool. Then we kind of took that to the other events, not so much the – concepts that were specific to Chattanooga, but the idea of how are we approaching new communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do you pick which cities you expand to? Yeah, so it's a little bit of that like higher power slash magic that comes <laughs> down a little bit too. Um, we get on the website, you can check it out, but we uh, have some applications for, you know, for our site leaders. And so we really discern and go through all those applications and see, um, kind of who's a good personality fit to start. And then we really start researching the city. And I'm sure this will kind of change and evolve as we grow, but right now that's kind of how we're approaching it with the scale that we're at. So, um, for example, Lexington is a great one to reference. We were kind of, we were ready to call it at 10 events for the year. We thought, okay, we think this is, you know, the number that we can stick with just based on the resource that we have and the time that we have. And then we got this amazing application in from somebody in Lexington that just had a lot of passion. And he was actually kind of relatively new to the area compared to some of the other site leaders. Um, And just his application was stunning. Like, it was just everything that we looked for, that community support, that desire to use your skills to improve, um, to help nonprofits tell their story, all of that piece. And so really started looking into Lexington a little bit, too. And this is a community that could support Make a Mark and that Make a Mark could also support, um, does it have, you know, the not necessarily the right nonprofits, but does it have a, an infrastructure for that for nonprofits to be able to apply um, to be part of the event? Does it have, you know, the, enough makers or technologists or, you know, creators in that space to support it? And so that's really kind of how we approach it. And then we end up talking to the site leader and bunch of different conversations back and forth to really determine is this a good fit and so that's really how we've been thinking about it and so we're excited to have like big cities like San Francisco and New York and Atlanta and also have small cities and towns like continuing to do Blacksburg and um, Asheville and and some of the others like that so it's been a cool blend of all those different cultures yeah for sure uh, where do you see Make a Mark five years from now? Five years from now. I hope that <laughs> it is <laughs> so like dramatically different that I wouldn't even be able to tell you right now. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I used to want to always have a very definitive plan of like what my life looked like in a year or two years. Um, but I think the nice thing that I've learned going full-time with Make a Mark is there's a lot of opportunities if you take some quiet time to listen uh, in your community. And so I kind of hope that that's what the future of Make a Mark looks like is, um, you know, the needs that people have, I hope we're able to fill them. And I think it'll always be using design and technology and ways to tell stories and new thoughts. Um, 
to really help support people that are doing important work and are trying to support um, individuals or causes that need it. And maybe that's a combination of nonprofits and social enterprises and humanitarian efforts and one-off projects. Um, so I'm hoping it's just continuing to serve those people, and I hope it's in like such a crazy, cool, innovative way that I would have no idea what it is right now. <laughs> That'd be nice. Yeah. <laughs> so you mentioned earlier that Brussels is your first international location. Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah. So another amazing applicant from Brussels. Um, it actually happened, you know, toward the end of last year. Um, we really started producing a lot of kind of content that went beyond um, just like case studies and our success stories. We love telling those stories. But really started thinking more about what are we, what are the lessons that we're learning that people can take and apply outside of Make a Mark. And in, maybe it's a side gig, maybe it's their full-time job, maybe it's a hobby. Um, and so it was through a lot of just content and working with partners and just kind of exploring that, that um, Gwen, who's a site leader in Brussels, heard about us and reached out. And that was really the beginning of, like, we can really scale to some other locations and how do we build up the infrastructure for that so like what do we start putting in place now that way in 2018 she can start really planning her event and um, she's actually a freelance interior designer um, architect amazing <laughs> human being and uh, and so she she was really inspiring person to talk to and to learn about Brussels in particular and the problems that they're struggling with and their opportunities and the culture there um, and so it just was really exciting to know that we could do this type of event and people could tailor it very specifically. And so that's kind of just how Brussels popped up is a lot of conversations with Gwen and now they're, they're well underway with kind of bridging this, you know, Dutch speaking community and French speaking community in Brussels, which I'm really excited to see how Make Mark can kind of play mm -hmm. into that. Do you have any other, like, what would your dream international city to host a Make a Mark Makeathon be? Oh. That's super interesting. Um, I oh my gosh, that is such a hard question. I really think, and this is a, kind of a cop out. I think Brussels is a perfect location for it because it does need support and help, and it's not. Um, you know, we have expanded to a lot of cities that I think you would expect for this type of an event to expand to. But I love that our first international location is kind of a like a surprise, you know, mm -hmm. I think people were like, that's the, that's the first one. And I think it's such I a was special totally place. Surprised. Right. You would think London or, and I think these things are coming down the road and I think will be great, but it's been really cool to, I don't know, just to learn about such a special city. Mm -hmm. So I would hope another city very similar in that capacity. Mm -hmm. Um, we've been talking to a lot of people in Canada in a couple of occasions. Ask. Yeah. So, um, I would love to see what the first one that pops up there is. I think, mm -hmm. you know, we've talked to a couple people in Montreal and Vancouver, and so just kind of feeling that out. But then I think it would be amazing to also be in an international location that is just, like, so diverse and mm -hmm. different than what we're used to. Like Southeast Asia somewhere. Ab yes, yeah. absolutely. It would be really cool. So mm -hmm. I'm excited about all of it. Yeah. I love whenever somebody shows interest in a new city because then it gives me kind of an opportunity to sit down and really understand the city. Mm -hmm. You know, for sure. From a rookie perspective, yeah. of course. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned success stories a few minutes ago. Do yeah. you have any success stories that just, like, popped to your head that you just itching at the bone to share? Yeah, I mean, there – I feel like there's always so many that are just really inspiring and I think drive you forward and I think really drive the makers forward. 
there was one here in Chattanooga last year. Um, it was actually a video project, so we don't do a ton of video projects um, just because it's a bit of a feat for a 12-hour event. Um, but sometimes we'll have some really generous makers that do a little pre-work, so we're able to um, kind of support a video project. And uh, Welcome Home of Chattanooga was the organization. Um, Sherry started Welcome Home, and and she started it really from a kind of like scratch your own itch perspective. She was a social worker. She saw a lot of individuals that were homeless that were dying because they had been diagnosed with a terminal illness, and they were living on the streets or in their cars, and weren't dying with dignity or support or love or a home or really anything um, beyond just sorrow and pain. And so she rented out a house um, that I think it houses five or six people now and just provides a home for them. So she works with local hospice to get them to come in and help support the residents that are there. Um, people come in and they cook dinners. It's really beautiful, bright home. Um, and really inspiring to see it. It's not, you know, I think it's hard because a lot of people think about death and dying, and it's a really dark subject. And so, to, but to go into that house, it has so much light, and Sherry brings that. And so, with this video project, she really wanted to showcase that that it's not a sad, desolate place. They're looking for volunteers, so they wanted to really bring people in and show that. And so, it was a video project with that. It was a gorgeous video. I mean, had everybody here in tears. Oh, it was I'm sure. just so. <laughs> Everything about it was perfect. So shout out to all the makers. I mean, it was amazing. The music was perfect. The shots were beautiful. Um, there was a designer on the team that worked on some graphics to, like, promote the premiere. They did a premiere at their house and had dinner, and so we went to that. And, you know, I, I can't think of a more deserving person to get such a beautiful project because Sherry has a beautiful heart and really puts all of herself into that organization. So that one's one of my favorites, but I feel like there's so many at each event that are just just really moving, and mm -hmm. then they become like your best friends. You just want to hang out with the whole team all the time mm -hmm. and just be inspired, you know? No, yes. Yeah. Like I said, so many things to be inspired about. I know. It's so people nice. like Sherry, <laughs> people like you and Alex. You're very kind. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's about all I've got. Is there anything you'd like to add that we haven't covered yet? I don't think so. I just love chatting with you today. Yeah, and, of course. Um, yeah, and talking now, I feel like I'm super hungry. <laughs> I need a cocktail. I want to go to Kroger. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> all the things. want to drive five <laughs> minutes down to Dalton? Sure. <laughs> Um, where can we follow Make a Mark on the internet? Yeah, you can obviously go to the website, letsmakemark.org. Um, we're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And most of those are simple, letsmakemark.org. Or .org, letsmakeamark. Um, our Instagram is let's underscore make a mark, which is so sad. I wanted the full, you know, the <laughs> standard. Yeah, and we have Medium, which I love because I love mm -hmm. being able to tell stories. So if you want to check out our Medium, it's just make a mark. Awesome. It. Yeah. Yeah. I'll throw all those in the show notes so everyone can follow along and learn more and hopefully volunteer. Yes. And if I got any of those wrong, <laughs> you can fix them in the show notes. I will. Because <laughs> there's potential it's wrong. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much for joining me yeah. tonight. This has been a new episode of the Nougat Bell podcast. Thank you all so much for listening.